Welcome to the campfire, the only place where friends and strangers alike sit down and tell tales in truth or fiction in exchange of my blessing of their safe travels. Allow me to relight the fire while you relax and listen. Make your mind wander about the reality we live in. The story I'm about to tell you is from a traveler named Top Mind of Reddit. He called this experience Itchy Bones. Please allow me to tell you his tale. There wasn't anything anyone could have done for me even if there were anyone to tell. At first, I just chalked it up to Paulo's silly horror story putting ideas in my head and I was just letting the misfortune of the last few weeks make me think that the worst was going to happen to me. I should have never come here. It happened on my 14th day of a 19-day expedition into the Vale de Juvari. My decision to make such a journey came from rumors of gold-rich hills in the territory, and it seems I couldn't have timed it better. The news broke of Archduke Franz Ferdinand's assassination the moment I arrived in Brazil. Hollow, my guide for my journey, is about what you'd expect for the money. He's a native in the sense that he's just from Brazil. He doesn't belong to any of the many tribes that inhabit the area. In fact, I met him in New York. He claims to know the area, and he says he knows how to steer clear of some of the less agreeable indigenous peoples. I've also brought along a geologist, Frank Davidson. He's not cut out for the rainforest by any stretch of the imagination. The first day we stepped foot into these uncharted territories, he nearly immediately fell ill with fever and had to be left back at base camp. Another member of our party that had to terminate early was Niles Patton, a professional explorer hired by a wealthy investor back in the States to accompany me to make sure that we were even deserving of funding. If we found gold in this territory, Niles would report back any details of the expedition to calculate the cost of beginning a mining operation, or if it was even worth it. What an explorer he turned out to be. On the eighth day, he slipped off a precipice while posing for a photograph. He realized too late that he was standing mere inches away from some kind of large snake. The snake wasn't even bothered by his presence. But when Niles glanced down to check if his footing exuded the heroic posture that he had envisioned, he jumped so high that you would have thought that the earth was about to swallow him whole. He didn't die. He was miraculously saved by the forest canopy below the ledge and the slow-moving stream below that. We found him washed up on the bank like an old fishing net after the several hours that it took for Paolo and me to reach him. Broke his leg, but he couldn't continue. He walked us through how to set the bone back and we took him and his space-wasting camera back to base camp. In exchange for not telling anyone or showing the resulting photograph of his mishap, he'd make sure we had enough funding to put a hundred mines out here and enough men to not only man them but to persuade any natives that were deemed logistical obstacles. Not to be deterred by what most would consider being a failure at this point. Paolo and I pressed on, in large part due to the money I've already spent to get here. To say nothing of the all-out war that is going on, with only some circles on a map and a vague idea of what signs point to gold. Being but two men with limited firepower, provisions, and time, we couldn't chance an encounter, peaceful or otherwise, with any natives. The predicament that arises from such circumstances is that the trails are native footpaths but the wilds beyond the path are just as dangerous. The difference is that nature is predictable, men are not. 
Paulo says he knows where every tribal village is on the trail, and suggested we take our chances cutting through the rough to avoid them. During one of these deviations, the vines and other foliage seemed especially thick, having to employ the use of machetes to carve our way, and the ambient noise of birds and tree-dwelling mammals that had accompanied us thus far was inexplicably absent. The forest floor was covered in downed trees and vines, and having moments ago seen a man-sized cave mouth that gave way to a vertical drop of hundreds of feet, only just visible through a pallet of plants, I couldn't afford to watch my footing. That is until Paolo swung his machete out flat against my chest. I froze. Paolo stood in front of me looking into the nearly solid wall of vines. What is it? I whispered. Paolo, still using his machete as a barricade, just stood like a statue. What? Raised the volume of my whisper. We need to go a different way. Why? What's wrong with this way? Paolo lowered his machete and pointed at something that lay on the forest floor a few feet in front of him. It was a mess of blood, viscera, and hair. A capuchin monkey that looks like it had swallowed a bomb. What in the hell? I said as I tentatively took another step closer out of morbid curiosity. Before Paolo returned his machete barricade, what did that? Lambidor de Asso. It's like a mosquito. I'm not a fool, Paolo. I'm paying you to be serious, not to tell me there's some monster mosquito out here. What? Did it lay eggs in him? No, he said quietly. It's small. It bites, then leaves. You never even notice it. Paolo, I say rubbing the bridge of my nose with my eyes closed. Think about that. How does that even make sense? What evolutionary advantage does destroying a perfectly good food source give this mosquito? No advantage, so Divertrier, he said with a face like a stone before slowly looking back toward me. It does it for fun. Just before I could tell him how stupid his little story was, the sound of something tearing through the air made Paolo's eyes pop to the size of dinner plates. A part of me is glad that he didn't have any time for more of a reaction than this because the arrow responsible for the ear-splitting whiz would have hit me in the face rather than flying through Paolo's neck. Paolo's eyes remained shocked and wide as he fell to the ground, allowing me to see the native assailant several yards behind him. I started running, but I only managed to get a few feet before becoming completely entangled in vines and other ropey plants. You don't go anywhere fast in here. Well, I thought as I watched the natives navigate their way closer to me with speed and agility. Most of us don't. I struggled to free myself, but it seemed like the forest floor was determined to swallow me up. Vines like squid tentacles wrapping and pulling, strangling and tightening. I glanced up to see four or five natives, running full speed, bows drawn and spears at the ready. Before one of them shouted something and pointed at the ground. Their once fierce faces and war cries vanished as they stumbled to halt themselves from going any further, looking at the monkey that had been smeared all over the floor. Tripping over each other, they retreated, never even looking in my direction again. Without the threat of an impending spear to the chest, I was able to easily free myself using my hunting knife. Once to my feet, I just stood there, shocked. That's when it occurred to me that I had no guide, I had no survivalist. I had no geologist. I was all alone in the Amazon for no reason. I should have called it off sooner. I should have known that it was going to end up like this and now. I'd be lucky if I'm able to find my way back without getting hopelessly lost or ripped apart by some native tribe. I thought. I had an idea of the general direction of base camp, at least. 
There was no other option. I had to take my chances. So I started hiking back. I crossed streams and other natural landmarks that I thought for sure looked familiar, and others that I had never seen before. I spent the next several hours with ebbing and flowing optimism. Just before sunset, I had decided it best to set up camp. I didn't have much in the way of supplies. I had a small tent, water, some dried meat, the map, compass, and some rock-picking tools the geologist had given me for collecting samples to take back to him. I don't know what he expected. A rock is a rock to me. I set up my tent and sat eating some dried meat when I first felt the itch. I scratched it, but scratching only provided relief just for the moment. I scratched again. I finished my meat and washed it down with a big gulp of water, then sat down with the map to plan my route for tomorrow. Then the itching came back. I had almost forgotten about it. It was more intense now. I scratched and scratched, and it felt a little better but I was never fully relieved of it. It was right at the base of my ribcage, the itching. I took my shirt off to see if I could figure what was wrong. I looked down and saw a tiny red bump. It had started to bleed slightly from my constant scratching. Huh, monster mosquito, I joked with myself. I scratched it some more. I needed to take my mind off of everything. This place was getting to me. I needed some home comforts. The closest thing I had to that was coffee. It was late, but I didn't care. I needed something, anything. I lit a small fire and put the kettle on. I stoked the fire while scratching my chest. I now had a wet cloth that I would occasionally put on the tiny bump to soothe it a little. It just got worse and worse. I scratched and scratched and scratched. The itchy area had also grown. Not much, but enough to notice. I poured myself a cup of coffee and tried to drink it. I struggled. I was shaking. I couldn't think about anything but scratching. I scratched one-handed. Then I threw my mug and scratched with both hands. I just need sleep, I thought. I'll just sleep this off. My tent shook with my trembling body. It took everything I had to keep from scratching. Every time I closed my eyes, images of my skin and eventually my bones appearing to me like a dried sea sponge, infested with tiny black ants, crawling in and out of the pores, would flash in my mind. I scratched. I threw open the tent. I wanted to scream. I just needed to get some sleep. How do I stop the itching? I looked around for something, anything, and that's when I got the idea. I'll burn it. I placed the tip of my machete into the fire and let it sit while I shook like a fucking dog. The itching is spreading. It's sinking deeper. I pulled the machete out and held it in front of me. The red glow casting a devilish light on my visage in the dark. Without a second more to weigh the pain versus itch, I pressed the white hot blade flat across the bump. I didn't even scream. It felt amazing. It was such a relief. I threw the machete down and felt a sense that I had conquered the Amazon just then. I breathed a sigh of relief and went back to the tent. No sooner had I begun to drift to sleep, I felt something. The itch. It was back. But it was different now. It felt deeper, much deeper than earlier. It felt so deep now that I couldn't even feel my skin anymore. Scratching did nothing. I couldn't feel it. All I could feel was itching. Itching deep under my skin. I felt like my bones were itching. How could that be? There was no logic, but there I was, writhing and shaking, trying to no avail to scratch an itch that should not be possible. No matter how hard I scratched, I could never reach it with the means that I was using. 
I had to scratch deeper. I pulled out my hunting knife and began to cut. I cut along my bottom rib, frantically slicing away. I went deeper and deeper until I was able to pull back the skin to reveal my rib. I began dragging the knife tip across it. It provided little relief, but at least I felt it. I scraped harder, faster. I turned the blade down and began whittling. Slivers of rib, then chunks of marrow. I kept going. I found that the more pressure I put, the better it felt at the joints, so I found a rock and began smashing my rib. The itching spread to my sternum. I cut more flesh and peeled it away, using my knife to make separation easier. I pried up on my sternum, but it wouldn't break. I had to keep smashing with a rock. My shoulder. I could feel the itch deep in the socket. While still bashing my chest with a rock, I began to gnaw on my shoulder like an animal caught in a trap. My teeth tore through flesh and sinew with abandon before I felt the smooth texture of a ball joint. I retrieved a small hand pick from my pack and shoved it in the socket and pried as hard as I could. I pulled it out and tried again. My shoulder made a wet pop and the ball had been removed. I began carving out the hollow side of the joint. The itch spread down my arm so I began placing segments of my limb between my knee. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And rock and slamming down on the loose end of my arm with my other knee. The previously dislocated shoulder made this easier to do. I had succeeded in smashing my sternum to bits and my chest began to flail with every violet breath like a morbid butterfly fluttering its horrible wings. Scratching the itch was becoming more and more difficult as it spread to different parts of my body and I was beginning to lose mobility and breath. I began to falter. Collapsing onto the ground, I reached for the knife that had fallen. On my knees, I looked up to the sky and began sawing just below my hairline. I didn't even wait until I had made a complete cut before I started to grasp the edges and pull down. Down, down, down. I began smashing my exposed skull on the rock that I had broken my arm on just moments ago. My lidless eyes bore witness as skull fragments began to collect on the ground. And then teeth, brain. I released the still attached flap that was my face and continued to bash, flashing bright white lights each time I bashed. I bashed and bashed and bashed and bashed and bashed, until the itching stopped. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels and a blessed day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.